Thank you, Jonathan. Literally, the greatest missions pastors in the world. They literally are. Just have no idea. They got back from Peru a couple of weeks ago, and they were just doing, you know, our mission pastor, we do it a little bit different. He's not just administrating a large budget. Um, part of their job, Jonathan and Rebecca's job, is to pastor our missionaries, which is a very rare thing for, for them. Most of the time, they're in foreign places, different cultures, called to it, but a lot of times they're there by themselves, right, as far as people connecting from their cultures, and they go to places where they are the pastors and they don't have pastors. And that's a tough place to be at. Missionaries need pastors, pastors need pastors, worship leaders need pastors. God designed, we need that connection, we need someone. Pastors care for your soul, it's soul care. And what Jonathan and Rebecca did on this most recent trip a couple of weeks ago to go to Larry, um, he's gone through COVID twice in a third world country that's been really difficult. If you think that some of our states were shut down hard, Peru it took a, they took that zero, you know, zero COVID, and, and which is impossible, and shut everything down. We're even trying to drive. They had a curfew at nighttime. They couldn't be outside. Trying to drive from one city to another city, they'd have roadblocks up, and you had to prove why you were going into that other. So it's just very difficult is what I was trying to say. And ultimately, it's begun to wear on him, and we detected the, the fatigue that was in Larry and the fruit that Larry is getting this is where having a mission pastor who can go in and then spend time pastoring someone so that that person is able to keep going in a healthy way this statistically they say when missionaries when they come back most of them drop out of ministry altogether because they're so wounded and hurt out there, the devil just fights them so hard, right? So we want to knock that in the teeth. We want our missionaries to be healthy while they're there. And when they come back, we want them to feel like they're heroes because they are returning back home. And so Jonathan and Rebecca were able to just minister to them. Larry um, called me then uh, in between when they had left him. They had a couple of other things they needed to do and before they got back to the States. Larry had called me and just, you know, just with tears, just thanking me, which is really thanking you, honestly, that's how it's possible, for sending someone to care for them, to walk with them, to pray with them, to encourage them. Guys, I, I know you sit there and it's so easy to feel disconnected. It's, it's what Jonathan just described is true. The Lord keeps excellent records, <laughs> fantastic records. And it even says, the Lord is not so, I think the word is callous uh, in the translation. The Lord is not so callous that he would forget all of your good work that you have done for his people. The Lord is a rewarder, right? We always think when God keeps records, you know, it's of all my sin. No, he keeps records of your obedience. He keeps records of how you take care of people and how you bless people. And he is a rewarder so that when you stand in his presence and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He will list off. And what, what Jonathan just said, I'm, it's hard for us in this place. I don't know why I'm taking the time to do this right now. But I am. I just want to encourage you. Everything you give, it's going to help people to make a difference in their lives. To change things. To let Jesus be known 
in all different parts of the world. What higher call is there than that right there, right? I hope you embrace that and get that in your heart because you will. It does get credited to your account and the Lord will thank you for what you have done all around the world, right here in our city, in what we're doing, and then as our outreach extends all around the world. The Lord uses you to bless people. Forgive me for having a message before the message, but I just, just wanted to do that. Let me show you real quick. Go ahead and pull this up. This is the video from just a couple of days ago, maybe even yesterday. Uh, so that's drywall that's already going. Yeah. Um, it's obviously not completely drywall because they're still pulling wires. You can see some of the wires, but now, you know, you're starting to walk into classrooms now. This is the hallway on the west side of the building. Classrooms on the left there. Um, you know, they're flying through this part of it now. And th they're supposed to be done basically with the drywall this coming Wednesday. Yeah, be all done with the drywall this Wednesday. So um, it's just, I, I know when you look at construction, it's still hard to guess, like, uh, you know, this is standing in the foyer close to where you go into the sanctuary. Um, it's hard to look at that and know exactly what's what. As they begin to paint it, it'll even become more apparent and more clear. I'm trying to figure out a way right now. It, I, I want to do an open house there for a couple of hours so that you get a chance just to come see it right now. I think it would do a lot for you to be able to see how far it's come and what it looks like. But there's still a lot of, like, uh, insurance companies right have their rules and they're worried that someone would get hurt in there and we have to wear hard hats when we're in there so how can we get that many and you know so I'm trying to work something out for you I want you to get in there I want you to see it but guys it's flying we did hear this week um, that they are gonna let us be able to the sanctuary will be done um, the Todd is Todd in here right now Todd, when is the sanctuary done? By the fourth week, of fourth week of April. The fourth week. So we are way, way ahead of schedule. So keep praying, right? Look, it's absolutely impossible for us to be in there in Easter. But God does the impossible. So I want you to pray that way. Yeah, just keep praying that way because the report is there. It's impossible, though. I don't want you to, like, don't invite people to Easter at the new building yet. <laughs> But be praying, right? Just be praying. Um, so, and by the way, what will we do? I just want to give you, we probably, if we're, if we're not able to do it, we're probably going to stay in this building for this reason. Uh, Christmas. Christmas was, by the time you pay for all the equipment rental and you pay for the hotel, that's about $50,000 uh, to do that, right? And we want to host well those big days. And we want to be able to accommodate all of our guests that come on those days. The truth of the matter is right now, we're trying to hold on to every diamond dollar that, and, and we're just, we're doing everything that we can to do that, which then brings me to, to this part too. You know, I stood up right before, um, it was right around Thanksgiving and talked about where the need was. And I realized we were going into Christmas and I realized, um, you know, hey, maybe I just need to just lay this down. Let's go through Christmas. Let's do our fast and then bring it back up. So let me just tell you where we are. Um, the whole project, we're within $2 million of the whole thing being paid for, right? $2 million. That's awesome. uh, that is awesome. And, so, and let me explain to you why it's $2 million. These four things are where the extra $2 million has come from. Number one, 
because we changed the usage in the building, right? We're not doing anything to the building, but because we changed the usage, it was an office building, now it's going to be used as a church. Municipalities use those opportunities in order to upgrade everything that's changed in the building codes. And so the building is 20 years old, and 20 years ago when it was used just for an office building, um, what I'm about to tell you wasn't necessary, but because we're going to be putting a lot more people in the building. We're not doing anything different to, structurally to the building, but because we're putting more people in the building, they wanted all of the steel reinforced, which doesn't sound like much, but the cost was $500,000 to reinforce all the steel. They had to dig all the way down to where the steel was into the ground, and they have to pour massive amounts of concrete, and then they have to weld plates where the steel comes together in the roof. And you could say, well, let's just don't do it. You, it doesn't work that way. You know, you don't, get, you don't do it. You don't pass inspection. You don't pass inspection. You can't get a certificate of occupancy. And you can fight and argue, and we tried. The bottom line is, if that's what they want, you have to give them what they want. And that wasn't figured into when we did the plan. No one knew that that was what they were going to ask for. We have a contingency, but that's, that eats up all of the contingency, right? So we don't want it to fall back to the, to the contingency. Sound equipment coming out of COVID, two major things changed on us. The cost of the equipment is just skyrocketed. And if you're still sitting there wondering, is inflation really going on? I haven't felt it yet. I got, my electric bill was 133% higher than it has ever been. Uh, and suddenly, anybody else get a higher? Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's there. So the, the cost for the electronics, by the time everything is said and done, lighting, electronics, FF&E is what they call it, that is about a million dollars. No, no joking with that. And I know you think, well, can't we just get like a radio and put a, one of those Mr. Microphone things in? Guys, it doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. And I, so I, I don't want to stand up here and be silly, but I'm just trying to tell you it's legitimate things that we have to have. And part of the pressure is what changed in COVID too is that they want the money all up. It used to be you could put 10% down. They'd order the equipment, install the equipment, and then give you the bill once it came in. That's reasonable. Because of COVID, they want 100% of the money up front. And I would stall it as I'm trying to raise the money, but the problem is this, if we don't order it right now, it takes 90 days to get everything. If I don't order it now and I wait till we're in the building, we won't be able to use the building for 90 days because we will have no equipment in the building to do the things that are lighting and micro. And I know, you, hey, you got a loud voice, jump up there and shout to the roof. We, that's not the way we're gonna do it. That's just not the way we're, and we're not being extravagant in this, but I'm trying to explain to you. So that's a million and a half dollars right there that were costs that we just, it was impossible to plan uh, for those things right there. It was, it was literally impossible. Todd, what was the other big one? If Todd doesn't know, it's his fault. Yeah. Well, it's your job. (laughs) 
you're blanking? Not a good look, Todd. Not a good look. <laughs> Don't blank in the next service, my friend. Find out what that is. Um, yeah, I'm, I unfortunately am blanking on it too. There's another $500,000 in it that explains why it's $2 million. So guys, here's where we are. I, I, I hate taking time out of a service to have to do this. But and so in order to do the music equipment, I'm, I'm having to take a loan on it right now at a high interest rate that adds a payment onto what we're doing. Now I'm doing it because we have to have the equipment right now. I don't, there's not a B. The board, we have racked our brains for how to do this. There is not a plan B. So I had to do it this way. If you're like me and you hate paying interest, yeah. Come on. raise your hand. I, you know, even if you're doing it, hate it. On one of my credit cards, my uh, password is debt is dumb. I tell myself that every time so that I just keep it in front of me. You don't look very happy as I'm talking about these things right here. I'm sorry. I, I even got a letter from someone who said, it seems like all you do is talk about money. Really? Really? I, I'm charged to have to stand up here and lead us into this. All of us believe that God is doing this and the miraculous has happened for us in this. But this is how it has to happen. And I'm not trying to be heavy-handed in any way. But I have two, I have two camps. Some people are like, just, just get up and tell the people, you have to do it. I don't believe in that. And some people are like, just, well, just kind of like, you know, uh, just pray about it and, and kind of, you know, use emotions. I don't believe in that either. I believe in just standing up and saying to the people who are a part of this church, if this is your home, if you love your church, and you're in a position to help us, would you please help us? And I know most of you have done so much to get us to where we are right now, including the staff. I want you to know the staff, to a person, has given above and beyond in this. And what's true in this is, when you sit there and you hear that, you think, okay, I'll take my tithe and I'll move it over here. That doesn't help. The giving that we're talking about is giving. It's not your tithe, it's giving that goes above and beyond. So I just need to say this to you. Let me identify. If you're new to our church, but you know this is going to be your place, and you haven't yet jumped in that way and made a commitment financially, we need you. Is it okay for me to say that? We need you. We just need you. And if that, like, offends you, dude, you can't love all the other stuff and then think this is not important. It all works together. It all works together. If you have given faithfully and are giving faithfully and you hear me say that and you're just like, Pastor, I have done so much. God bless you. God bless you in that. Chris and I are having to do the same thing right now too and take it from some places that just we would have used it for something else. But this is where it, it needs to be right now. And I don't know how to say that to you except to say that to you. And of course, in everything, I just ask you to pray about it and then listen to the Holy Spirit. Guys, I know, I know for a fact that in this, I don't even need the other service, in this service right now, if the Holy Spirit were to move on hearts, we could do this in, it could be done today. And I, I, I look around, my mind plays tricks on me because I see some people smiling at me, and then you think, you know, oh, they're doing okay, but on the inside they're like, I wish this guy would shut up. And then you see other people... <laughs> who look like they're shell-shocked right now, like, oh my goodness. And maybe they're thinking about, I know how I can help him do this. The amount 
is not the issue. It's equal sacrifice from all of our people. That's what it is. And I'm going to appeal to this because I feel that as leader and as the Lord has charged me to do this, folks, if Jubilee is your home and you can do something about this, we need you. We need you. Please consider this. Please consider this. Please be a part of this. Amen? Amen? Okay, that's it. I will move on from it. Thank you. This side. You're, you're getting better, but this side. So may the Lord take my left, your right, and bless this side like crazy today. Just bless. And may he begin to bless you in a better way. The truth is, may the Lord bless every person in this room. And if you find yourself in a situation right now where you're just like, I wish I could help, why not, why not throw it as a challenge to the Lord? God, if you provide, God, if you show me, God, if you help me, then I will make a commitment to do this. Throw it out to the Lord. Especially if you've never... If you've never experienced, you've never had a chance to grow in that area, you, you have a heart that wants to give, but you've just never had a chance or a way or a challenge in that area, I really I, trust the Lord. Step into that thing. Do you know it's the only scripture in all of the Bible where God invites the invitation to test him. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not pour out a blessing that you can't contain. Man, I'm a benefactor, a living benefactor of being a person who has learned over the years, the Lord has taught, that this type of giving comes back in so many ways. And we think it's dollar for dollar. That's, that's the least way that the Lord blesses. When, when you talk about your family being blessed, when you talk about health, when you talk about things that you own, that somehow other people are dealing with things breaking down and wearing out, and it seems like somehow you got the one that doesn't, those are not accidental things. God has his way. And so I just loose this amongst our people. I loose, I loose a new level of generosity and vision. I pray that anything that's keeping your heart from connecting to what God is doing from connecting to the idea that we're going to reach more people than ever before, we're going to train more people than ever before, and we're our best days, guys. I, this is no cliche. It is not just me talking. The best days that you are going to participate with lie so close in front of us. And I invite you, man, jump in with both feet because the blessing in this, it's worthy of you jumping in with both feet. And I bless all of you, and I thank you for listening to me. Thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for responding gently. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Um, let's jump into this because somehow in this service, I always run it right to the brink and even a little past. Okay. We start a new series today called The Way Back to Relationship. And just so that you know, you hear those words, if you sit here as a single or you sit here in a marriage maybe that's uh, at a crisis and you think to yourself, I'm not sure 
that I want to hear this series or there's anything in it for me. First, never prejudge something by that. That's such a mistake, man. That's such a mistake. Don't you think that God is big enough that even if we're talking about something else, that the Holy Spirit can speak to you in the middle of that thing and give you something that you... Look, he is able to bless, to leave behind a blessing. Always have the heart that no matter what the subject is, the Holy Spirit is able to do far more with it than what the title of the subject is. So we will talk about relationships, we will talk about marriage, we will talk about Pastor Terry is working on a message that has to do with single, and, and it, it's, it's brilliant. I think that you're really going to appreciate it. Chris and I are going to tag team just because I believe that, uh, first of all, I believe that my wife is brilliant, but she's able to say things from a woman's perspective that even, even in a heart of a man who wants to minister to that, there's just some things that were different. You know, that's hard to say today. We're different. Men are different and women are different. No matter what you're told, we're different. Way different. Lord different. <laughs> yeah, praise God. No doubt. I'd hate to marry me. Um, <laughs> so, we're going to stick with the thing the way back. And we're going to talk about the way back to relationship. Then we're going to talk about the way back to the cross uh, as we move into Easter. I, I really think, we, we feel like the Lord gave us a great strategy for the first uh, five to six months of this year. And I'm just really excited about that. And then I know when we move into the building, instead of doing one weekend for grand opening, we want to take probably six weekends and do a grand opening just to celebrate, right? So I don't want to shoot the fireworks in 45 minutes. Well, there, there's the grand opening. Wouldn't it be great to celebrate first? To just tell the Lord, I think this is going to be worthy of celebrate. So we want to bring in some speakers who are phenomenal. We want to, we want to do some, some activities with that that are just special. And again, I'm wasting all of my time. So, um, <clears throat> okay, Genesis 2. Here's our text for this weekend. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Um, then the Lord God said, this is creation, and in chapter 2, in chapter 1, you have sort of the, the overview, the, the real, um, like the quick, here's the seven days and how God created, and then chapter 2 gets into more of the details and how things are put together. There she is. I'm so glad you're here. I preach better when you're here. I feel better when you're here. No, you don't need to be sorry. You're here. That's, I'm just, she's watching uh, grandkids right now. And so look how good she looks for watching three little grandkids right now. I'm so proud of you. But I'm so ready for you to come home too. So. Okay. Um, so uh, Genesis 2, 18. 2 gives more definition and detail as to what 1 was talking about. So then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Just, just hang on to that real quick. Um, what's interesting about this is that when you read Genesis chapter 1 and even into Genesis chapter 2, God does say it. But after every act of creation, the Lord pronounces a blessing by saying, and the Lord saw that it was good, and he blessed, right? He saw that it was good. And yet, now when we get into the definition of, of all of creation, when he comes to the man, the Lord God... Um, he discovers something. And I have a little bit of problem talking about God discovering something because we know that God is all-knowing. 
We know that he's all-powerful. We know that he's omniscient. He's everywhere, knows everything, and all-powerful, right? And yet, this is hard for me to figure out because in the way that it's written, it's almost like the Lord discovers that it's not good for the man. So he created the man, and he created the woman, and he said, this is good. But a little later on, as it's working, God realizes, he discovers, it's not good for the man to be alone. More needs to be. Isn't that interesting, though? Because in everything else he says it's good, but on this he says this is not good. So this is that, that particular verse. Then the Lord God said, it is not what? It is not good for the man to be alone. And yet, when God created the man, he said this is good. But he found out in the actual working of it that there's a missing element that has to be addressed. So the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all of the wild animals, all of the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all of the wild animals, and then it just, there we go. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So Okay, so let's, let's get a picture here. The Lord God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I need to make a helper that can satisfy this thing that's missing on the inside of this purpose. And by the way, had he created the woman first, right? And the woman, it would have been, because it's in the heart of all humanity to have a connection. None of us are good alone. The worst punishment you can give to a person is solitary confinement. Not just because being alone, but being alone messes with the mind of a person. So as lousy as a prison situation can be, listen to this, it's a proven fact, as lousy as the general population of a prison can be, people will choose to be let loose into that population with all the dangers of it because it's better at least to be around even dangerous people than it is to be left alone all day by yourself. By yourself. So the worst form of punishment, think about it, is, is to be left alone. It's to be put in solitary confinement. It's used as a punishment. Yes or no? And some of you who are raising children, you're like, I wish I could find like a week of solitary confinement. Chris is able to put those little kids to bed right now, and they go down pretty early. And then she's got a show that she loves to watch, and she's been able to binge on it in the evening. So I call her up, and I'm like, how you doing? Oh, I'm really tired. And I'm, I'm like... What are you doing? Uh, I've been watching uh, Chicago Fire. Um, how many of you watched? I, I'm not even sure, John. It's just gone by. And, so in, in one way, solitary confinement is good in one way, but it wouldn't be good to have that for the rest of your life. It's not the way. I know you would think you could go for a while longer, but it's just not meant. It's, it's a punishment. God discovered that even, listen, they say that a dog is man's best friend. And the Lord God, it was an experiment, so to speak, that he created the animals, brought them to Adam to see what he would name them, looking to see if an animal could fill the loneliness. And it couldn't. It's interesting. You know what else is interesting? Think about this. Adam had a relationship with God where the Bible says the Lord would come every day in the cool of the day to walk with Adam. And that wasn't enough to satisfy the loneliness. Did you ever think about that? 
Think about that. We have this relationship with the Lord, and yet even in that, there's community that needs to happen. And then beyond community, there's this level of intimacy that you find with your spouse or that you should be finding with your spouse. So there's community, and then there's intimacy. And Adam was unable to achieve that with the animals, with his work. Anybody remember what Adam's work was? God created a garden and put Adam in it to what? To work it or to tend it. So real quick, get this right here. This thing that's inside of us that needs this intimacy and connection, it can't, you cannot find a substitute for it through work, through nature, and even through God. Am I saying something that you're like, is it okay to say that? It's true. This is what we're reading right here. Adam had all three of those things, and yet God had to keep going to find the one that finally met that need for intimacy in his life. That's where the story goes. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. This is the very first time that we see that God is an anesthesiologist. You think I'm kidding. How do they do this when they operate on you? They put you into a deep sleep. The Lord is brilliant. When we copy after him, it's amazing. It really is amazing. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib. And he brought her to the man. Look at Adam's words. At last! (laughs) He didn't say that about the dog or the lion, the horse, the cat, the giraffe. He probably said, that's cool. Wow. He didn't say that about his work. And I bet he loved his work. Work is from God. Jobs are from men. Work is that thing that you you were born to do it. It satisfies you. By the way, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't have to be what I do. What you do can be as much of a call in your life. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. But what you're doing should be something that you feel like this matters and this counts. There's not too many worse things in life to give your life to something that you feel like doesn't matter. And how many people get stuck in that rut right there? And then how difficult is it to get out of that rut right there? You get locked and loaded with mortgages and focusing on the future. Boy, there's 18 messages I could preach out of this thing this morning. I'm going to get back. And then obviously, he didn't say to the Lord, at last, you and I, God, I think that Adam fully enjoyed his relationship with the Lord. I think that Adam, any one of you in this room that experiences intimacy with God, you know how good that is. You know how wonderful it is. You know we're aiming for that. That's the point of getting up and beginning your day in the presence of the Lord. It's worth it to touch God's heart and have him touch yours. That intimacy is good. And yet... Adam didn't proclaim over that at last. It was once God created the woman, one that was suitable for him. And then Adam, poetically, this is how you see humanity rise, the the poetry. "This This is bone of my bone, flesh from my flesh, and she will be called woman because she was taken from the man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his what? So when people say to you, 
you know, marriage is some uh, creation of man. How biblically ignorant are we in this day? Marriage is God's idea. It comes from God. It has a purpose behind it. There is a blessing in it. He created it this way because he knows what's best for us. And when we try to do substitutes, like we get part of the relationship, but we don't make it a marriage, you're getting a counterfeit. You're not getting the fullness. And I'm not saying that. If you're sitting here today and you're living with someone not married, I'm not, I'm not like, bad, bad, bad. I'm trying to tell you, God designed it this way because he knows how to bless you more than you know how to bless you. And of course, the argument is, but, you know, we have everything except we don't have that, you know, that, that legal thing that ties us down. Marriage is, if that's how you look at marriage, that you're tied down? Dude, I do everything I can to hold on. I'm not trying to get away. Now there's another message for another day. <laughs> this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, one flesh. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Uh, that is such a deep verse there. To try to pull this apart, I will do my best. If you're taking the online notes... Um, let, let's jump in and, uh, and, and, and do this. Uh, the rib. It's the first one, the rib. Genesis 2, 21 through 23. Pull that back up for me again real quick. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while the man slept. The Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone. She's part of me and flesh from my flesh. And she will be called woman because she was taken from the man. You know, in the weddings that I do, it sounds cliche-ish, but I always very much talk about that thing, that the woman was taken from the side of the man. Why the side? Is that just like the easiest place? Is there any... God does nothing by accident. Everything is very much on purpose. And he loves to disguise it or to hide it because it's his delight to disguise it and it's our delight to discover it. He wants you to dig and figure it out. He's hidden treasures all through why he does what he does. Why the rib? Why not the head? Why not the foot? Why not the knee? And it literally, if you look up the explanation for this, every single I could not find one disagreement to this issue. It represents that she is his equal partner in this life. That they stand side by side. Come here, please. In this case, it's going to be from my left side. She wasn't taken from the head to rule over him. She wasn't taken from his feet so that she's underneath him. She is taken from his side because they stand side by side as equals in life. But we have other scriptures that say that the man is the head and that the wife is to submit to the man being the head because of the fall of mankind. Prior to the fall, this was the relationship. We are equals. I am not above you. I am not below you. We are co-equals. We are co in a marriage. We are co-in parenting. We are co as we pastor. 
Everything we do is together. When you can get this right, there's nothing like it. And when you get married and you can't get this right, there's nothing like it. Yes or no? Thank you for helping me. Taken from the side because they're equals. And we live in a day where even men in church who read a few scriptures begin to then demand, you are to submit to me, you are to submit to me, you are to submit to me. If you have to demand submission, you're in the wrong place anyway. Here's what I believe. I believe that the Lord has put in the heart of your wife, not of women, of your wife, to be able to follow you if you lead well. If you lead well. So we think, well, I do lead well. I tell her what I want. When I want, where I want, how I want. And if she doesn't do it, I let her know it was wrong. I'm a leader. That's not a leader. That's an idiot. Would you want that? Would you follow that? So, so uh, look, cut to the chase. Is there ever a place where if the man has to be in the role, it's a role, the role of the leader, and his wife is like, I don't want to do that. I think that's the wrong decision. I, I don't think that we should do that. Is there a place where a man can go, listen, I'm the leader, and I need you to, you've got to follow me. And of, of course, you, you, if you want a technical truth, yes. Let me tell you what I have learned in my life. Until we are in agreement because we're supposed to be one, not two, one. Until we are in agreement, the power of agreement. Can two walk together unless they agree to do so? There has to be agreement to go anything. There has to be agreement between you and me for me to be your pastor and for you to listen to me right now. Do you agree with that? The power of agreement. What you see at large in America today is that we have so much Disagreement. Disagreement then fosters all sorts of anger, all sorts of discord. I mean, I, I don't want to turn it into that message, but what you see today is we do not have agreement. Maybe more so than ever before, at least in my lifetime. So I don't make a decision. If we come to a fork in the road, and it's like Chris feels this way, and I feel this way, we don't flip coins. We don't go, well, you did it last time, so I'll do it this time. We will not make a decision unless we both feel we're supposed to do that. But I mean, does that mean some things don't get done? Yeah, it does. But what if they're time sensitive and they're under pressure? Then one of us has to be willing to serve the other. What does a leader do? Inspire is a great word. Yeah, there's not a one, but in this, in this context, what does a leader do? Serve is the right answer. You're a servant leader. So by the way, I, I'm going to start coming down here and teaching more. This is just, I love it down here. I love to be close to you. I do it for the video, but I... Something's going to give. So, so to, to lead through serving. 
And you're like, but that, that's, not, that's not strong. That's not a strong leader. <laughs> What'd you say? It takes a lot more. It takes so much more. A weak man, a weak man cannot serve. A strong man can. Because it's not about like, hey, my manlyhood is it's all based on you listening to everything I say and thinking I'm brilliant. My servant to my wife is to make sure that we stay one. And as I do that, I, I can't think, I'm sure there's something, but I can't think of anything that her and I disagree on. Can you? Are you being honest? Yeah. Okay. I can't think of anything right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that there are things. We've just learned, I mean, Chris and I are married 38 years, right? You don't stay married that long and in love, passionately, unless you learn to lead and follow this way. So, so I'm going to make the statement right now that you're free to disagree with, but I'm going to tell you how we do it, right? So the whole man is the head, and then the woman should submit to her husband in everything. I believe that that's true. I believe that the Apostle Paul wrote that. I believe that Paul knew what he was talking about. But those are the rules because of the fall of the world. So the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God is reconciling us. And that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So now I've taught this before in light of salvation. But let me just, let me just do this in marriage right now. Okay, If God is reconciling us. That means to bring us back to something that was at one time. Okay? He's reconciling us to himself. Okay. When was the last time we were conciled to God? Where were we in history when we were conciled to God? Can you remember, Daniel? In the garden. In the garden, God came and walked with the man. Every, the man and the woman were naked. and No shame. No, this is weird. No, I, no nothing. Innocent towards each other. The relationship working exactly the way that it's supposed to be working. Now, you're free to disagree with me about this. I'm just going to give you a challenge to something. See, like, I think it's cool that if you're trying to build your marriage, you can take Ephesians 5, and you can build it on. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. It's a wonderful working parameter for a marriage. But is that the highest level that you can aspire to? So let me give you one that's even higher. If we're being reconciled, reconciled, the last time we were reconciled was in the garden with the Lord, and the man and woman were equals. In my marriage, I am working from a reconciliation point of view, not how do we make it work after the fall point of view. Now, you can't go from that to this in six months. Dude, there's a lot of, are you getting what I'm saying right there? Am I going over your heads with it? Like, and if you're afraid, like, I mean, pastor, the Bible says the husband's the head of the wife and Christ's the head of the church and you've got to love her like Christ loves the church and she has to submit to you like she does to the, yes, it's, it does say that. And it's a wonderful working way to build your marriage. But is there anything beyond that that you can shoot for? James. According to the word of God, we're being reconciled, brought back to what it was like in the beginning. God's ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry he's given you is the ministry of reconciliation. 
can we aim for something more than just, okay, I'm the head and you submit? Can we aim in a marriage to reconcile it where we also are equals next to each other? Can something like that even be... I, I, man, I, now I know I'm going to get some good email now. <laughs> we, we teach and believe. Ephesians 5. Most of the weddings I do, I use those scriptures as a good blueprint for what a Christian marriage should look like. But I believe that you can shoot beyond that to where you're, you're aiming for unity. I don't aim for, hey, you need to, I, I made the decision and you need to submit to me. Don't do that. Marriage is so much better than that. It's better. What gives you the right to say that? Well, I'm the one standing up here, one. And two, I've got a marriage that has some distance on it. And it's not just like we're just committed to each other and that's why we made it this long. Our deal was to be married a long time and to be passionate. This is my best friend. This is the one that I'm committed to above everything else. I love my grandchildren. I am crazy about my children, but they come after. Did you just hear that? They come after. And in a blended marriage, which Pastor Terry's going to hit on this a little bit too, that's a tough one. So how does a couple that's supposed to put each other above everything else, but there's been children from another... And I, listen, I know what I'm saying. Don't, I, I'm looking around the room. I, I, I know. How do you put the two of you even above that? Because you should. Thank you for that powerful amen. Thank you for just shouting at me. Oh, you're, you're on, Pastor John. Thank you. Two of the greatest people that teach Merrick, Eric and Rachel Dufour, who go to our church. I mean, you have no idea what a blessing that is. They travel around the world teaching marriage specifically to leaders in crisis. And they're very, very powerful with what they teach. Very powerful with what they teach. But the truth of the matter is, because in so many marriages, the roles get so messed up, and, and the culture we live in is constantly... I mean, today, not only are they trying to mess the roles up, they're also trying to take what is a man and what is a woman and then reattach different meanings to that so that there's no way to even speak to any of these things which leaves me in the position of having to take a strong stand and say from this scripture if you're a Christ follower there is no room to add on to different definitions pastor you don't get nuance you don't get the Bible pastor you're living in some bygone era no, I'm living in 2022, reading my Bible, and it's more difficult today to try to disseminate this than it's ever been before. I'll just throw this real quick. I get constantly people asking me, talk about politics more. Talk about politics more. Look at me real quick. The reason I keep it focused on Jesus and on the Word of God I feel like that's the job that the Lord... It would be easy to talk about current events. It would be easy to... That's not, there's no life in those things. When you turn off Fox... When you turn off CNN... See, I know. When you turn off Fox, 
do you feel, uh, I feel so much better. I just feel, I, that edified me, that strengthened me, that lifted me up. I talked with a pastoral couple this week who told me we had to finally turn it off because I find myself under my breath cursing at the Biden administration constantly. And he said, as a believer, it's producing death in me and I detect the death, therefore I have to choose life. I can't make you do it. I'm not saying you're gonna miss heaven. I am going to say this though, the life you're living now, Jesus promised abundant life. And if you are not living an abundant life, Jesus is not a liar. He is not a liar. So maybe some choices have to be that if you're going to spend your day all day long eating from the trough of this world, no wonder you feel so much like the world. At least give equal time to the Word of God. At least give equal time. If you're going to spend whatever it is, 45 minutes, give 45 minutes back to God. The, the Bible, the, the Word of God in Ephesians says that the Word of God has a cleansing, a washing effect over our minds. If you're going to take into your mind all of the opinions that come from people who do not love and do not serve and are not trying to edify you with what the Word says, at least wash your mind with what the Word of God says so that there is equality to it. If you say you love God, you cannot eat constantly from that trough. And then the problem is what you focus on and what you take in is what you become like. So you're stamped going to heaven, but you live here and now and it feels like hell. Everything's messed up. So I'm up here preaching and it seems so far from you. And this really should be the easy thing to grasp right now. This, this teaching is not hard. This should be the easy thing to grasp. And when we can't grasp it, it's because we have become so preconditioned by what the world says. This is how it's to look. And this is how it's to feel. And this is what it's to taste like. Be very careful. Be very careful. Last week when I taught about guarding your heart, the response to it was overwhelming. If you weren't here, please listen to that message. Above all else, guard your heart. How do you guard it? You've got to keep some things out of it while letting some things into it. If you're indiscriminate about that, you're making a tragic mistake. Tragic mistake. You cannot eat death all day and not feel like you're dying. What time is it? Oh, um, I'm going to have to cut a little bit. Let's just go to two. Becoming one. If you're taking the online notes, I suggest that you do it just so that you have. I think when you write something, it increases the likelihood of remembering it. Now, I did meet a guy last night in our Bible study who has like a, a memory where he's actually, he can listen and retain. And if he writes, it distracts him. God would love that. If I don't write, I can't retain because when I'm looking and just, my mind likes to, anybody else mind wander? Thank you for being like, yeah. Some of you are like, I haven't heard a word you said. I've been wandering all over the world. Let's do this. Becoming one, Genesis 2.24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and the two become 
one flesh, one person. They become one. So a couple of questions for you. Feel free to shout this out. Um, <clears throat> what makes us one? So it used to be taught, or I heard it taught, that sex is what makes a person one. And they use a scripture from the New Testament where Paul says, don't you know that when you join yourself to a prostitute, that part of yourself is, is united with this woman uh, or united with this person forever and ever and ever. So that the more you do this, the more you're giving a piece of yourself away and you become a very fractured person. So it used to be taught at one time that to become one was the, the, the intimacy between the man and the wife when they would have sex, when they were together that way, that that's what it meant to becoming one. So let me just ask you the question. How many of you think that that's the only way that people become one? Raise your hand. Good for you. But we live in a society whose highest goal for intimacy is sex. Everything is sex-saturated. Watch Family Hour and tell me that it doesn't lead itself into sexual... Maybe more innocent, but it's still about sex. It's everywhere. It's, it's in every magazine. It's in every commercial it's everywhere you go. At some level, it's, it's a sexuality that sells because we live in a culture that believes that intimacy and sex are synonymous with each other. And I would submit to you that sex in the right place with the right person can be an opening to becoming one. But it's only the opening to becoming one. Becoming one, I think, takes a lifetime. Becoming one is not natural, is <laughs> hard. Sometimes it seems to go easier and sometimes it doesn't. But the whole idea of becoming one, working in unity, means that I can't just go out. It's not my money. It's not my car. It's not my house. It's not my church. They're not my kids. Everything is ours. This is our money. Golly, guys, come on. Come on. So we, we even have to refer to it as our. It takes, it takes so long. You know what takes so long? Overcoming selfishness. You know what I was born with, and I'm really good at it? I'm really good at thinking about me. I know what I like. I know what I want. I know what makes me happy. And if I get married and I still continue to think about what makes me happy... I'm going to have a marriage that is. So then the dude's like, if you just submit to me so that I can think about me, this will stop. It will not. <clears throat> I read in the newspaper this week, the person that was... The article was about marriage. Um, Wall Street Journal yesterday. Anybody get the Wall Street Journal? Let me just see real quick. A few of you. Wall Street Journal yesterday, their Saturday edition. There's an article in it talking about is it dangerous to get married in your 20s? So Now, this is not a Christian article. This, this has nothing to do with it. Is it dangerous to get married in your 20s? The article went on to say that many people today are delaying uh, marriage until their 30s uh, for two reasons. One... Uh, a woman to be able to get herself established in a career, and then once she gets married, uh, both of them are established. And then the other one is that there's more maturity in your, in your 30s than there is 
in your 20s. And so they said that that's the average reason and reason for why people delay marriage if getting married at all. So the, this was done by Stanford University. I, it's either UCLA or USC, I can't remember, but definitely Stanford University. So this is a secular university, secular study. They, they have no idea that, that they're about to um, pull on 2,000, well, really, 4,000-year-old wisdom. And this is what they concluded, that couples that marry in their 20s have a high probability of staying together if they don't cohabitate first. And that... Couples that cohabitate first, especially with other people before the one they're living with now, have an upwards of 80% chance of divorce down the road. 80%. This, is not, this is not a Christian who's trying to, right? This, they don't even know they're saying what God said. If they knew, they would retract that article in a moment. And I will bring it to you next week and show you the article. But they just concluded that a couple marrying in their 20s has an ultra-high percentage chance of making it, even through the immaturity, if they didn't. Because, and then they get into, they get into all the reasons why. So I'm just going to stand up here and just real quick on, on this idea with, with what intimacy and, and what sex is. God has designed marriage to be so fulfilling to you that when we do it right, it makes sense. And the reason that so many people today are so against it or so mixed up about it or have such trouble with it. Guys, dying to yourself. Just want the whole, dying to yourself, which is what marriage is. You want to find out how selfish you are? Get married. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Raise your hand. Raise your, Ruder, you didn't raise your hand, and I know. I know you're a selfish <laughs> person. Carrie? She's shaking her head. So I'm going to say, how many of us are selfish before we get married, James? There we go. Thank you very much. We all are. And you don't know how selfish you are until you get married because marriage requires that you learn not to be selfish if you're going to have a successful marriage. And what they're saying in this situation, when you do it God's way, even if you don't know you're doing it God's way, God designed it so it's a blessing to you. And when you do it His way, it is so powerful. By the way, I'm not saying that if you cohabitated, you're going to get a divorce. You have Jesus now in your life. The power of the gospel does not change our past. It changes our future. The opportunity today to say to the Lord, I want to do it your way. And why would you say that? Because you want to be blessed. You want to be blessed. I do not want to be blessed. I to knock you in the head. Come on. You do want to be blessed. You do it God's way because you want to be blessed. Marriage is his idea. Not just getting married, but being married. Being in this relationship. Becoming one. So in that article, some, some 30-year-old man said these words. I cannot imagine having sex with one person for the rest of my life. Thinking that that's cool. And that is because we have elevated in our culture as sex being the ultimate issue to prove intimacy. Sex is the beginning of intimacy. I cannot imagine, listen to my words, I cannot imagine having intimacy with another woman 
for the rest of my life. I cannot imagine that. I don't fantasize about that. I don't desire that. I don't look to that. I don't think about that. I work on this. This. Here's what I know. I'm going to be blunt, okay? I know, but I'm doing it. That's why I came over here, so I couldn't see you. <laughs> it is designed, literally, so that one person can hold your attention, can hold your imagination, can hold your fantasy, can hold your passion. And if you look and you go, well, that's not my experience, then I would say to you, you haven't discovered how. It's not that it doesn't work. You haven't discovered how. You are a partner of a culture rather than a student of what God says. I promise you, I promise you, there's only one. There's never been an affair. There will never be an affair. And I'm not trying to set myself up for some kind of, I mean, God protect us from that. But I, this is it for me. Until death do us part. That's it. And it's more than enough. I haven't discovered everything there is to know about her. There's probably not a day where I don't find something of like, wow. Sometimes it's wow, and sometimes, wow. True. <laughs> but I can promise you. It works, and it's worth it. And the last one, no shame. No shame. Genesis 2.25. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So let me, let me just hit on this real quickly. What is this? What is it trying to say to us? Uh, you remember that after they disobeyed, the Bible says their eyes were open. They saw that they were naked, and they felt shame. Right? So we're trying to reconcile. We want to go back to the place where there's... There's just not shame between us. There's not. What did, what did the man and the woman do? What things happened to the man and the woman at the fall? I'll give you three things real quick. The first one is they began to feel shame so that they hid from each other. They covered up. They got behind things. And today we still hide behind things rather than open up to who we really are because we're afraid if you know who I really am, yeah. you're not going to like that person. You're not going to want that person. So we hide and we cover up. And listen to me, the greatest level of intimacy is when you really can drop all the pretense and all the guard and then find that this person who knows the good and the bad loves you. Amen. That's the way that God loves you. We think we fool God. God knows everything about you, Mike. And he chooses you anyway. He doesn't choose you because you're wearing that snappy shirt. <laughs> he chooses you, dude, on your worst day at your worst time. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. You didn't choose him and then he decided to like you. He knew everything about you. And he chose you. And the closest thing on this earth that we can come to that kind of love... It's when a man and a woman in marriage are willing to finally drop all the pretense. Because you really can't get over all the bad stuff without someone helping you to get over all the bad stuff. If you could have done it, you would have done it a long time ago. God gave you that person. We never think, why do we need a husband? Why do we need a wife? That's why we need children. 
for your own sanctification, for your own holiness, to grow in the Lord, God gives you Kareen James because she can see the areas in your life where you are like Jesus and she can encourage you and pray for you and the areas that you're not, she doesn't reject you and push you away. She's there to say, come on, man. Our wives are given to us to help us grow spiritually. Husbands are given to wives to help them grow spiritually. We don't understand this relationship the reason it says he created male and female, he created them in his image. The truest picture of what God looks like, when you bring the man and the woman together and they become one, God is the only other thing that is whole in and of himself. And it is a picture. And Ephesians says that. The husband and the wife become one. It's a picture of the oneness of God. And of course, the enemy fight so hard against a marriage becoming that because if he can keep you at the level where you're just bickering and fighting and rejecting and hard you don't ever grow spiritually do you God, a marriage when it's right we joked about it we all laughed when it's right there's nothing like it but when it's wrong there's nothing like it yes. it's hell on earth or it's heaven on earth yes. and so so many people say so i've got a friend in this church right now who went through a horrible divorce horrible horrible and swore he ended up backslidden away from the Lord he was so hurt how could God allow this to happen why does God get the blame you know like you were standing there and you never made any choices God did that all it's God's fault that didn't happen so backslidden angry the person that I knew I met him in Bible college and the person that he became, I didn't know that guy. And I would pray for him. And he would tell me this, I will never get married again. I will never get married again. And I just let him talk. Okay. You probably won't. I don't blame you. I just agree with it. Yeah, you know. And the whole time I'm thinking, God will get you. I'm just praying. Lord, bring someone to him. God softened his heart. It took a long time, too, several years. But he tells me one day, hey, I've met this girl at church. Goes to another church. I said, that's dangerous. <laughs> and she's the real deal. <laughs> she was significantly involved in him coming back to Jesus. And then I think it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, they came here and they made a beeline. He, he had texted me and said, hey, can we meet with you real quick? So they went back in the green room over there in between the services. And he says, hey, we're going to get married. Would you do the wedding? I did his first one. Yes, I do it. God can restore. God is a reconciler. God pulls people who feel like their lives are on the trash heap of humanity. God specializes in taking those people and restoring dignity, purpose, and worth to their lives. So we feel all like, you know, I'm all cleaned up. No, when God found you, you were on the humanity of the pile of worthlessness. And the Lord picked you and said, I choose you. You are worth it. You are priceless. 
Gosh, it's a marriage message that centers on the relationship of the Lord. How could that be? Let me end with this. The whole thing about no shame, what does it mean? How do we apply it today in our lives? How do we get there? Um, So I want to say this to any marriage that might be struggling this morning. Hear me? Any marriage that might be struggling this morning. Um, And especially if that marriage has convinced themselves that this just is not going to work. There are irreconcilable differences. Uh, Maybe you use the words, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Maybe you don't even feel any love anymore. Maybe it's at the level where you've already made up your mind and it's over with. I, I do want you to know, no matter what you do, God loves you. God will not reject you. But let me offer an alternative. That when you decided to get married to the person, I bet the natural state of the relationship is that you liked each other and you got along with each other and that you found things that you agreed about, things that you were happy about. Because no person has ever come to me and said, Pastor, we fight like cats and dogs. I really don't like this person. We have nothing in common. Can you do our wedding next week? <laughs> if that has never, ever happened to me. Not one time. Everyone that comes to me, because I ask the question, why this person? Because this person, this is the person that God has given me. This is the person that does something inside of me. This is a person that I connect to inside of them. We're better together. Whatever words they use, that's the natural state of the relationship. Just like Adam and Eve, before the fall, the natural state of the relationship is they could truly be who they are and they loved each other. No rejection, no shame. So how do we know that the enemy has entered into a marriage when you have left the natural state of the relationship and now you're ashamed and you're hiding and you're blaming? First thing Adam and Eve did was blame. Eve blamed the snake. Adam blamed the woman. Everything that represents discord in a marriage, and I know when it gets there, Here's the power of the enemy. The power of the enemy is that he enters into our lives, sows discord, gets us wrestling against each other, and then he moves out of the way. We don't even see that he's there, and you two will kill each other. And the Bible says that we don't wrestle against, but we wrestle against principalities, spiritual wickedness. We wrestle against an enemy, and he works best when he brings discord between us And then he hides while we kill each other. The natural state of the relationship is you loved each other. And here's so you think we can't get back there. Quit agreeing with what the devil said. God is a God of reconciliation. I have seen him put things back together that are awesome. And by the way, dude, we have counselors who are skilled at this, counselors that are full time on staff that are available to anybody in our church. They're not available to people out in the world because they're available for you, for free. Because we believe that God is a reconciler. You hear what I'm saying? If you're stuck, man, ask for help. Ask for help.